One of the first things that you do when you get a home usually is that you get a home inspection. And you go in and you get the home inspector to make sure that everything is working correctly as it should. You make sure that the dishwasher is working, the electricity is done right, there's no hidden mold anywhere. You make sure it is in order so that when you move into this house, that you're going to have a good life. That you're not all of a sudden fall through the first floor into your living room because somebody didn't check the floor or whatever. I don't know if that's what they do in home inspections. I'm assuming that's what they do. Uh, I have a staff member, his name's Chad, he works downstairs with our kids every week, and he told me this I've never really thought about before. When they got into their home, they went through the home inspection, they toured the home, and immediately, they didn't just get back in their car and drive away and talk about the home. They walked out the front door, took a left to their neighbor's front door, and knocked on the door and said, we're thinking about moving in here, are you a weirdo? Because they... <laughs> knew something that a lot of us overlook is that a good neighbor can make or break your life. <laughs> I got more amens on that than I've ever preached. That was... <laughs> um, two weeks later, the, neighbor, uh, the neighbors across the street, they moved. Then a couple months later, the neighbors next to them moved. And then moved. And then the mailman, which we become very friendly with, got a different route. And so we got a new mailman. And so I don't know what that says about Amy and I as neighbors, but we currently have a bunch of really good neighbors. We have the kind of neighbors, a couple weeks ago, I was here early prepping for a Sunday morning, and Amy called me and she said, there is water leaking through the ceiling. It's either gone or out busy, and so... We have the kind of neighbors, they said, go get Phil. And so she went and got Phil. And Phil came in and he double-checked everything and made sure that everything was okay. We've got the kind of neighbors that when my oldest daughter was standing up, they're looking out for the welfare of my family while I'm gone. But I want you to imagine this, that what if you don't have good neighbors? I wonder how would you feel instead of that security, that stable feeling, that place of we have a community that's out for each other. Instead, when I left for a trip, I had to wonder, will my neighbor come over and try to seduce my wife? Instead, I have to wonder, will my neighbor come and take my lawnmower out of my garage or take tools out of my toolbox and not return them? If you've ever had a bad neighbor, if you've ever had a neighbor you've had to constantly fight with or bicker with or had confrontation with, you know how much is instead of looking out for your welfare is hoping for your doom can just affect your everyday normal life. I'm so thankful that I have a good neighbors around us. Exodus chapter 20 verse 17 says, you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, their male or female servant ox or donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. A uh, couple of weeks, a couple months, we have been doing this study, this slow crawl through the Ten Commandments, looking at each one of them, trying to understand how they apply to our lives today, looking at practices to get them into our lives, looking at ways that maybe they, uh, maybe, we're not so clean or so independent of living clean of them. And so today, 10, 
You must not covet your neighbor's house. Just to recap really quick, one through four, commandments one through four, they instruct us in our relationship with God. You have one God, worship that one God, speak reverently and fearfully of that God, and then have right relationship with God through rest and worship and delight. And then you get commandments five through nine that guides us in our relationship towards others, living rightly and indirectly. But 10 is different from all the other previous nine because 10 is the one that addresses and works on our heart behind all the activities and the actions going on in our life. And so the first thing we ask is, what is coveting? Coveting in and of itself is not an action. Coveting is the internal condition of your heart. Coveting, when it's cultivated and given attention and allowed to persist in our lives, eventually it will become in action. But coveting in and of itself is simply boiled down to wanting something. Coveting is desire. But not all desire is wrong, though. I woke up today, and I woke up wanting to go back to bed. And right after that, I I wanted a hot shower and I wanted a hot cup of coffee. There's nothing sinful in that. Perhaps you've come home from a long day of work and you've just wanted a good meal. You've wanted a kiss from your wife or a hug from your kids. Perhaps as we've gone through the Ten Commandments, you've realized that you've wanted to live a life more in alignment with their teachings. Not all desire is wrong or bad. So when we get to coveting, there's something different about it that changes the desire that is sinfully disordered and needs redirecting. Coveting is wanting something that's not yours to have. Coveting is a lie that says that if we have that, then I will be happy. Coveting is cousins to jealousy, which is saying, I only want this because you have that. There's been, I'm, internally I am a competitive person. Externally I'm not. But internally I'm always in competition with the people around me. I'm always in competition of uh, either walking faster or getting there quicker. I'm the kind of person that when I'm driving I have to, uh, well, I don't stop myself as much as I should from changing lanes to get around people. If I'm on the highway going down 90 towards Chicago, I switch car behind me is now in front of me. So I switch lanes again, and now that car behind me is in front of me. And I get frustrated, not because I'm getting slow, but because they're beating me. (laughs) I'm the kind of person on a long trip where we pull over because the kids are screaming and they need to go to the bathroom. And I think about all the cars I passed, and now they're passing me (laughs) because I stopped here. So jealousy and coveting says, I want this because you have it. Coveting says, man, I I want those clothes because you're wearing them. I want that new pair of pants because you have it. I I was happy with the clothes I had yesterday until I saw the clothes that you got. I was happy with the station I had in life until I saw that you got the promotion. I was happy with my life until I saw that you got ahead a little bit. And now I want what you have because you got it and I didn't. 
Coveting is desire that is sinfully disordered and it needs redirecting. If you've ever had a desire, anybody have an iPhone? Not a trick question, most of you. The rest are getting, the iPhone came out and it was so cool because it had blue bubbles and it was so cool because it was all touchscreen and there was no buttons and it was just so cool because Angry Birds was on the iPhone. And I was like, man, I want an iPhone. Anybody, when you got that iPhone, did that feeling last? No. You want it, you save for it, you finally get it, and then a year later, what do you have to have? Do you want to dress up as a unicorn and have your text speak your words? Now you can have it if you just give us $1,000. We realize that desire is never satisfied when you get it. Desire is only satisfied when you get more. It will never make me feel happy. It will never make me feel content. It will never fill this void that coveting says you need it, you want it, you want more. The only thing that will ever fill it is if I get more. Coveting is kind of, if you've ever had poison ivy, it's one of the worst things. It just blisters and it itches and it just hurts. And it makes you want to just scratch. But what happens is if you scratch poison ivy, then now you've got it on your fingers and you spread it. And now, because you've spread it, you want to scratch more. And so you scratch more and it spreads and you scratch more. And so when you get poison ivy, you want to scratch. And when you start scratching, the only thing that's going to help it to feel better is if you keep scratching. And that's kind of what desire is like. The thing when I do it will not satisfy me. As soon as I get it, as soon as I buy it, as soon as I have what the thing that they have that I wanted, I will want more. Because stuff never leads to satisfaction. The only thing that satisfies more is more. Tenth commandment is a safeguard to keep us from violating the other ten commandments and to keep our hearts pure before God. The 10th commandment focuses in on the heart because it's focusing and pushing you towards right relationship with God. The other ones focus on our right relationship with God in, uh, in our actions. And then 5 through 9 focuses on the right relationship with people through our actions. But commandment 10 positions our heart in the right way. Matthew 6, 19 through 21, it says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy. Thieves do not break in and steal. And this is the important part. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. The things that you prioritize are the treasures of your heart. Treasure in your life, your house or your kids, or your wife, or your job, or your position? Are the treasures in your life things that you will stay here when you die? Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. We've been on this 21-day prayer and fasting, and whenever we do this, I look forward to it, not just for this part too. Amy and I will often limit our diet during that time. We're fasting, we're praying, we're abstaining from certain things, and naturally, we just begin to feel, man, we cut out sugar, we cut out fast food, we cut out all this bad-for-you food that, it, you know, makes life living, but that doesn't matter. It's like all the things that are, taste good, 
And all of a sudden I sleep better and I have more energy and my joints don't hurt and my ankles don't hurt. I can walk up the stairs fine and I just feel healthier. But inevitably the fast ends and we go to Panda Express and we get all the other things and we're back in that same place. Because the thing is that the things that you put into your body immediately affects the things that come out of your body. And so what you put into your heart affects the outcome of your life. What we focus on, what we dwell on, what we mentally indulge in, we realize is the precursor to what comes out of our lives. Jesus does this when he expounds on six and seven. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. He says that adultery is not just the mental, mental, uh, uh, the mental thought of sleeping with somebody. Violation of your marriage covenant as the actual act of it. When he talks about the sixth command, do not murder, he talks about how just simply thinking about somebody driving off a cliff is as bad, is murder, as much as committing the action. Because it's just the precursor to what comes out of our lives. All the commandments do this. They point to first an internal thing going on, a personal thing going on just with you. Am I keeping a pure heart? Am I, am I worshiping God purely? And it begins with you. But all of the commandments, when we violate them or live in lives in accordance to them, they naturally spill out into the lives of other people. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I were at Ikea. And so uh, we got our things checked out. And right outside the doors is the loading area for people to back in and to load all the big furniture. And for whatever reason, the day that we showed up, it was extra spot, had a car in it. And they were all had these pallets with huge pieces of furniture on them. And we just could not simply walk through to get to the parking lot. And so there was a particularly large pallet with huge boxes on it that we could not see past. It was blocking the exit for us to walk through to get to the parking lot. And so I began to push the car out of the way. And as soon as I began to push the car, I hear this, no, stop, ow, stop, on the other side. And I stopped, and I'm leaning against the box on the other side that I just did not see. And I was pushing her over with the cart on top of her. <laughs> In Jesus' name, get out of the way. Our actions never just affect us. Sometimes we think, what does it matter if I indulge these jealous thoughts? We actually never think that. We just do it. What does it matter what they have? What does it matter if I just focus and daydream about what if my life was as good as, as theirs? What does it matter if I deeply desire this thing that is not mine, that I should not have? Well, Whatever we dwell on, allow our hearts to focus on, it will eventually affect those around us. Our actions never just affect us. Our heart focus is never just about us. It eventually will spill out people. Like all the commandments, the 10th commandment demands an internal audit of the soul. And it begins with questions like this. Am I jealous? I give you an opportunity to not just say that rhetorically, but to actually ask yourself in this moment. Is there somebody I'm jealous of? Man, I, 
I wish my wife would act a lot more like their wife. My kids would treat me like, I wish I had kids like that. If people spoke about me like this, if, they, if people treated me like they treated him, life would be better. Is there sinful desire in your life that needs to be reordered? If you answered yes to that, there's a good follow-up question of, why do I want that? Why do I wish for that? And the overall arching question is, why am I not content with what I have? There's a couple stories in the Bible I think answer that well for us. The very first one being Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, they have this perfect life, this perfect weather, a job. They have a spouse literally made, a match made in heaven for Adam. And then God just gives them this one thing. Don't eat, you can eat from any tree you want, just don't eat from the one tree, because if you eat that tree, you're going to die. But otherwise, you can eat from any other tree. And slowly but surely, you know the story. The snake slips in, and he begins to whisper lies. Did God really say you must not eat from the fruit of that tree? You won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. And the woman was convinced. Perhaps we're jealous. Perhaps we covet because we simply just do not trust God. I don't believe that what God's given me is good. I don't believe what I have is enough. I don't believe the life that I have is sufficient. Perhaps it's like Cain and Abel, who we studied a while ago. I love this verse. We've, we've gone over this a couple times, but there's something in here that's just important. God says, why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you just do what is right. Perhaps we're coveting or perhaps we have a jealous heart because we simply are just doing the wrong thing. It feels good to sin. It feels good. How many people know that uh, I would much rather a Crunchwrap Supreme five days a week, every meal a day, than a bowl of oatmeal, man? Come on. You can tempt me. This has been said, but it's so true. You can tempt me all day with a bowl of peas, Tony, and I will never cave, man. I will never cave to that temptation. But put a Portillo's piece of chocolate cake in front of me, and it's just a matter of minutes till Amy leaves the room. Sinning feels good in the moment. It scratches the itch that says, just do it one time and you'll be satisfied. Just do it here and you'll feel better. Just do it here and you'll be happy. But God tells Cain, do what is right and it'll go well with you. Perhaps it's David and Bathsheba. David was a king in the Bible. He was kind of this rags-to-riches story where he went from just this common shepherd to a war hero to being on the run from a, a dictatorship, and eventually he got into his kingdom. Eventually he became the king. Eventually he got all the things that had been promised to him, land and rule and peace and wives and money. He had all this stuff. And then one day when most kings were off at war, David stayed home, and he took a nap, and he went outside, and he looked across, and he saw a very beautiful woman bathing. And he called for her, and he said, who is that woman? She's Bathsheba, wife of Uriah. Go get her. So David, abusing his power and position of authority, takes what's not his, even though he had a palace full of wives. 
And so maybe we are jealous and maybe we covet because we're simply not content with what we have. Do we trust God? Are we doing what's right? Are we simply just not content with what God's given us? And so how do we respond to these feelings? How do we put into practice things in our lives to keep us in a place where we just desire the things that God wants from us? I believe the word to that is simply contentment. Philippians 4, verse 11 and 12, Paul models for us what contentment looks like. He says, not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. We hear those words and we've done a very peopley thing with this verse. We completely ignore all the context and all the verses that go before it and we completely hyper-focus on verse 13. I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. I can get the promotion. I can get the house. I can get the raise. I can get the things I want because Jesus will give me what I want because I'm a Christian. But the context of this verse is that Paul's in jail. Paul's in need. Paul does need things. But what Paul is saying is that I've learned that even when things don't go the way I want them to, even when things don't go the way that they should go, Christ will sustain me to handle life circumstances. So whether I'm starving or I'm full, Christ can give me strength to get through it. So whether if I have the finances or not, Christ can sustain me to get through it. And so this verse is not our motto to be able to, in Jesus' name, get the things that we want. It's a cry of a man that needed things, but was content to take whatever Christ decided life would throw his way. Contentment is self-sufficiency despite the circumstances. And Paul adds that his sufficiency comes from Christ. Coveting looks for things to make us happy. If I just had that person in my life, my marriage would be good. If I had their job and their clothes and their house, things would be easy. But contentment looks to Christ to satisfy us because I can do all things through Christ. I have two things I just want to share with you guys before I go back into a time of worship. Um, going into this awakening season, and sometimes, uh, you see, what is, what is it that God has for me in this season of fasting? What is it that he has when things don't go the way that they should or I want? Because when things don't go my way, my tendency is to overreact and make them go the way that I want them to go. I have this ability to be able to speak and to talk and to force the world around me to interact in such a way that it goes the way that I think it should. And God's been giving me plenty of opportunities to work on that. To be content when things don't go my way when life doesn't go the way that I want it to, when I get sick and I don't want to. When that bill came up, I wasn't expecting it. 
when the timing on that project got pushed back or whatever else it is. The Ten Commandments guide us in the way that we're supposed to go. But the Ten Commandments have one overarching goal that they build into our lives. It's really easy to read the Ten Commandments and hear all the thou shalt nots. It's easy to hear all the negative implications of an angry father preaching at his children. But Jesus finishes and modifies what God gives to the Israelites. In Mark chapter 12, verse 28, it says, One of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus answered well, so he asked, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, The most important commandment is this, Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only God. You must love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And so where the Ten Commandments often call us, thou shalt not, Jesus puts them on their head and says, you shall love the Lord your God. And when you do that, you'll naturally begin to love the people around you. Because it's important to realize who and why the commandments were given. Sometimes it's easy to read the Ten Commandments and we use that as a way to judge people around us and to judge society. Look at the world around us. Violating every single one of the Ten Commandments. And it's easy to get mad or dismayed about that, but if you remember, the Ten Commandments was not given to society, it was not given to the world, it was given to a redeemed and set free people from slavery. The Ten Commandments were given to people not to set them free, God had already done that. The Ten Commandments were given to a set free people as a reminder of how free people are supposed to live. So what God was doing, he's saying, I just set you free from society. I just set you free from the world. I just set you free from Egypt. Now that you're free, this is the charter of conduct for free people. This is how you're supposed to live your life. Worship me, love God, speak of me reverently, rest well, honor your parents, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. Free people do not speak falsely about others and free people are content with where I lead them. And so what I want to remind you guys today is that the Ten Commandments is not a way to judge you and to rail against you. The Ten Commandments is kind of like taking your kids bowling. The Ten Commandments are kind of like these bumpers where you put them up. Because you're going to get where you're supposed to be, it just might take you a while to get there. Have you ever taken your kids and they throw the bowling ball and it just goes so slow? And it hits this rail and it hits this rail. And almost the whole place is just like, is it gonna go in? And inevitably, it always reaches where it's supposed to go. On the other end, there's some times where we don't have the rails and you go bowling, you know, there's one left and you need it to catch the spare and you throw it and you miss it by a hair and put it in the gutter. 
The Ten Commandments are guardrails to keep free people going the route they're supposed to go. It just keeps us where we're supposed to be. You are already set free. You are already loving people. The Ten Commandments just remind us of what that looks like. Remind us of how free people who love God and love others are supposed to act. It keeps us moving forward, growing in love, first for God and secondly for others. Would you stand with me, church? We're going to go back into a time of worship, and in a little bit we're going to conclude today's service with communion. But I just want to read Psalms 19 over you as we go into this worship. Randy, we can go to worship lighting, please. Psalms 19, verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoice in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even more much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Altar team can come forward, but this is a good verse to just lead us into a time of reflection and worship. The Ten Commandments help us give this eternal audit of, do I have right relationship with God? Is there anything in my life that I need to bounce back from, to redirect in my life? Is there a way that I've been treating people around me? Is my heart pure in its desire? Is it content with what Christ has brought my way? Am I finding peace and satisfaction in Jesus? Am I looking for it in the other things around me in life?